God bless and greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. This is a continuation on our sermon, We Wrestle Not Against Flesh and Blood. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In verse 14 now, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was that coat of mail that covered the upper torso part of the body. Barnes on this verse. And having on the breastplate. The word rendered here as breastplate denoted the cuirass, or lorica, or coat of mail. The armor that covered the body from the neck to the thighs and consisted of two parts, one covering the front and the other the back. It was made of rings or in the form of scales or of plates, so fastened together that they would be flexible and yet guard the body from a sword, spear, or arrow. It is referred to in the scriptures as a coat of mail. We are told that Goliath's coat of mail weighed 5,000 shekels of brass, or nearly 160 pounds. It was often formed of plates of brass, laid one upon the other, like the scales of a fish, end quote. The breastplate's main purpose was to protect the vital organs, which most importantly included the heart. For no man can allow the devil's attacks to reach his heart lest the lies and deceptions meant to deceive and trick the believer accomplish their purpose. It was also when Satan entered into Judas and his heart that he did his evil deed, and when an evil spirit entered into Saul and into his heart and soul that also filled Saul with depression, fear, and jealousy that ultimately led to him seeking to take David's life. The heart and all internal organs, therefore, should be guarded by having on the breastplate of righteousness. Because if the enemy can reach the inside of men, then men can be deceived to make decisions and follow lusts, which can ultimately destroy both their spiritual and physical lives. Proverbs 4.23 Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. What then is in our heart will manifest itself in our lives. If we have good hearts, then good will be produced. But if our hearts are corrupt, then wickedness is all that we will know. Matthew 12, 35. A good man, out of the good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. Every man's most important possession then is the inward condition of his heart. And because of this, the breastplate of righteousness should be put on to protect it. Simply because he, who will not care for and guard his heart, might easily find that through spiritual neglect or the pursuit of lust, evil can enter. Understanding as well that no man can have pockets of non-integrity and not think that the devil will not take advantage of them. For where sin is, the devil will roost. 
The believer's best defense, therefore, against the fiery arrows aimed at the heart is by him walking righteously before God. See, although this may seem surprising to most, personal character and seeking to walk righteously is critical against devilish attacks. Living rightly on the inside, found to be very protective and useful when then spiritual attacks come against us on the outside. Barnes on this verse. Of righteousness, integrity, holiness, purity of life, sincerity of piety. The breastplate defended the vital parts of the body. And the idea here may be that integrity of life and righteousness of character is as necessary to defend us from the assaults of Satan as the coat of mail was to preserve the heart from the arrows of the enemy. It was the incorruptible integrity of Job, and in a higher sense of the Redeemer himself, that saved them from the temptations of the devil. And it is as true now that no one can successfully meet the power of temptation unless he is righteous, as that a soldier could not defend himself against a foe without such a coat of mail. A want of integrity will leave a man exposed to the assaults of the enemy, just as a man would be whose coat of mail was defective, or some part of which was missing. The king of Israel was smitten by an arrow, sent from a bow, drawn at a venture, between the joints of his harness, or the breastplate. And many a man who thinks he has on the Christian armor is smitten in the same manner. There is some defect of character, some want of incorruptible integrity, some point that is unguarded, and that will sure to be the point of attack by the foe, end quote. Just as a man must put on truth, so must he also put on integrity and a right way of living. Again, surprising as it may seem, by walking uprightly, honorably, and in the light, men help themselves against the assaults of the enemy. Psalm 25, 19. Consider mine enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. O keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. Benson on this verse. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me. David's praying that integrity might preserve him. Intimate, says Henry, that he did not expect to be safe any longer than he continued in his integrity and uprightness. And that while he did continue in it, he did not doubt of being safe. Sincerity, adds he, will be our best security in the worst of times. Integrity and uprightness will be a man's preservation more than the wealth and honor of the world can be. This will preserve us to the heavenly kingdom. We should therefore pray to God to preserve us in our integrity and then be assured that he will preserve us." End quote. How you live then, if it is upright, will form protection for your life. As no man is thus open to devilish temptation more than he who lives a life of secret sin. See, it does not take many gaps of sinful character 
to create room for a fatal spiritual attack. As one carefully placed arrow, if there is no breastplate of armor to protect against it, can accomplish great damage. The old fable reminding us that where there was but one deceptive Trojan horse brought into a city, the entire destruction of the city followed. The devil's favorite prey also being those men who live unrighteously with no regard to their sin. Even as if there remains even one door open to the enemy created by sin, the devil will discover it. Consequently, sins must be repented of, lest a man through temptation can so fall and be deceived by the sin in his heart that his own salvation is lost. Therefore, once the Lord through His Spirit opens our hearts to sin, then confession should be made, lest the enemy will lead us into even greater destruction of life. This was seen in the life of Saul, where one sin only begat another, which ultimately ended in Saul taking his own life. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. For us to walk with God and endure this life, our feet must be shod with the gospel of peace. See, no man can walk any great distance without some form of a shoe, sandal, or foot covering. Having firm footing by keeping the gospel as our means of living also is that which will cause us not to lose our balance and fall into sin. No doubt the gospel of peace refers to both peace in our hearts and seeking peace in our lives. See, the enemy of God's people will always try and ignite divisions and wars. The devil doing his very best to create schism and conflict, which is the opposite of the peace of God. So that where the Spirit of the Lord will bring unity and peace to those who receive God, the devil and his cohorts will seek to create turmoil in the people of God. The devil always seeking to introduce sins that war against the soul, which also can then so spread to discourage and divide Christ's body. It is said of sinners that the way of peace they do not know or have not known. Hence, until men come to know the God of peace and the Prince of peace, divine peace cannot be experienced. Walking then according to the gospel of peace, by following the gospel of Christ, will become that which keeps Christians upright and moving towards God's salvation. Sinners, though, because they have rejected the lordship of Jesus, can have no connection to God's peace at all. Isaiah 59, 8. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Those who walk crookedly shall never know God's peace nor the way of peace. Peace is reserved for the righteous and sinners can have no true connection to it at all. Those then who live unrighteously and have no use for the gospel of peace negate ever having peace in their lives. Barnes on this verse. The way of peace they know not. The phrase, way of peace, may denote either peace of conscience, peace with God, peace amongst themselves, or peace with their fellow men. Possibly, 
it may refer to all these, and the sense will be that in their whole lives, they were strangers to true contentment and happiness. From no quarter had they peace, but whether in relation to God, to their own consciences, to each other, or to their fellow man, they were involved in continual strife and agitation. And there is no judgment in their goings. Right, the sense is that there was no justice in their dealings. There was no disposition to do right. They were full of selfishness, falsehood, oppression, and cruelty. They have made them crooked paths. A crooked path is an emblem of dishonesty, fraud, deceit. A straight path is an emblem of sincerity, truth, and honesty, and uprightness. The idea is that their counsels and plans were perverse and evil. We have a similar expression now when we say of a man that he is straightforward, meaning that he is an honest man, end quote. It should be noted as well that the more justly a man walks with his life agreeing with God, then the more peace will fill his soul. Love for God's law also having as its spiritual fruit the peace of God filling us. Psalm 119, 165, great verse of scripture. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Hence, love for the truth will have as its reward peace in the soul. Benson on this verse. Great peace have they which love thy law. Hebrew, great peace is or shall be to the lovers of thy law. That is, great inward peace satisfaction, and tranquility of mind, arising from the sense of thy love to them and of thy watchful care over them. In other words, amidst the storms and tempests of the world, there is a perfect calm in the breasts of those who not only do the will of God, but love to do it. They are at peace with God by the blood of reconciliation, at peace with themselves by the answer of a good conscience, and the subjection of those desires was war against the soul at peace with all men by the spirit of charity. And the whole creation is so at peace with them that all things work together for their good, and nothing shall offend them. Hebrew, to them is no stumbling block. Namely, such as they shall stumble at and fall by into sin and misery. No external troubles can rob them of this great peace. No offenses or stumbling blocks which are thrown in their way by persecution or temptation, by the malice of enemies, by the apostasy of friends, by anything which they see, hear of, or feel can detain or divert them from their course, end quote. See where sinners will stumble at many things, that also cause them to doubt God and cease trusting in Him. Those who love God's law will find no occasion to stumble and fall away from the faith. Observe also that the man who abandons the way of peace and seeks not to receive Christ cannot ever come to either possess or know the peace of God. Simply because for men to have peace, and be free from the agitation of sin, God's Son must be received. As only through the Son of God can true peace with God ever be found. 
Romans 5, 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thus, only when men become reconciled to the Lord, through also faith in Him, shall they discover peace within themselves. It is therefore God who gives peace, and He alone who can remove the fear, agitation, and troubled conscience that a life of sin will and must produce. Leviticus 26.6 And I will give peace in the land, saith the Lord, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will rid evil beasts out of the land. Neither shall the sword go through your land. It is the work of God to deliver his people from battles that wage war against them, which have at their root cause sin and evil. This is why until men turn to God, a life of unrest is all they will know. Psalm 55, 18. He hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many with me. And now verse 16 of Ephesians chapter 6. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. We have seen the Christian armor consists of truth, righteousness, peace, and now we are ready to consider faith as it is faith in God that shall be able to quench and extinguish all the fiery darts of the wicked. Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith failed not, simply because whenever faith leaves us, we are completely defenseless against spiritual attacks aimed at destroying our soul. Do not then underestimate the need for a deep and strong spiritual faith, for without it, men are completely open to all fiery darts and lies of the wicked one. The purpose also of fiery darts is to increase flames of division and confusion. Fire is a very destructive force, so that even with one fiery dart, destruction can easily spread and cause a great deal of spiritual damage. Faith, therefore, is that shield which will quench and extinguish in our souls all the fiery darts of the wicked. God's word also instructs us that above all the other armaments, faith is the most critical for our overall defense. For if a man has faith to protect him, which is referred to here as a soldier's shield, then the enemy's attacks can be kept at bay before ever even reaching the other parts of his armor. Barnes on this verse. Faith here is made to occupy a more important place than either of the other Christian graces. It bears to the whole Christian character the same relation which the shield does to the other parts of the armor of a soldier. It protects all and is indispensable to the security of all, as is the case with the shield. The shield was an ingenious device by which blows and arrows might be parried off and the whole body defended. It could be made to protect the head or the heart or thrown behind to meet all attack there. As long as the soldier had his shield, he felt secure. And as long as a Christian has faith, he is safe." End quote. 
No spiritual armament is therefore more essential to protect the believer from devilish attacks than a pure and sincere faith in his God. Faith, more than able to stop any enemy intrusion, so that it cannot advance further into our lives. Jesus' faith and his response of, it is written, did this in his temptations. And so also can our faith and trust in God's word do the same for us. No lie of the devil, therefore, will be able to fully enter into our heart if true faith in God resides in our soul. Faith also, which can only really be possessed when God is either through his word or his spirit spoken to us. Verse 17 now of Ephesians 6. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Benson on this. And take the helmet of salvation, that is, the hope of salvation, as it is expressed in the parallel passage. The helmet was for the defense of the head, a part which it concerned them most carefully to defend, because one stroke there might easily have proved fatal. Thus it concerns the Christian to defend his mind, courage, and fortitude against all temptations to dejection and despondency by a living hope of eternal life. Felicity and glory built on the promises of God, which ensures that salvation to those disciples of Christ, whose faith continues to the end of the world by love, armed with this helmet, the hope of the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross and despised the shame. End quote. The hope of salvation, referred to here as the helmet of salvation, is critical if we are to endure and protect ourselves from the potential discouragement and despondency which will undoubtedly affect us whenever we are under siege from the devil. Hope then that God has saved us and will remain with us unto the end, gives us the strength to continue to do his will and to finish the course of faith set before us. A Christian's morale is very important part of his defense and hope in his God is the primary source of all true spiritual encouragement. Hence, nowhere is the soul more strengthened than when there is a very real spiritual hope that God shall lift us out of our temptation to be victorious. Hope in our God, giving us the inward strength to run the race of faith in our life. Isaiah 40, 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Barnes on this verse. But they that wait upon the Lord. The word rendered wait upon here denotes properly to wait in the sense of expecting. The phrase to wait on Yahweh means to wait for his help. That is to trust in him, to put our hope or confidence in him. It is applicable to those who are in circumstances of danger or want and who look to him for his merciful interposition. Here it properly refers to those who were suffering a long and grievous captivity in Babylon and who had no prospect of deliverance but in him. The phrase is applicable also to all who feel that they are weak, feeble, guilty, and helpless, and who in view of this 
put their trust in Yahweh. The promise or assurance here is general in its nature, and it is applicable to his people now as it was in the times of the captivity of Babylon. Religion is often expressed in the scriptures by waiting on Yahweh, that is, by looking to him for help, expecting deliverance through his aid, putting trust in him. An integral part of the believer's faith, therefore, will be to patiently wait upon God to fulfill his promises. This, in essence, is what hope is, a belief and trust in God, that God shall fulfill his word and bring deliverance to his people. Faith is described as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hope, therefore, which is an extension of faith, is a critical part of our spiritual armor, which, if firmly held, can allow us to see well beyond our current circumstances. Hope in God, ultimately that which will produce a great and resilient strength within the soul. Psalm 16, 9. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. So that if a man has hope, there is little the devil can do to really discourage him. Hope is the anchor of the soul, that which keeps the soul from being moved from God, even in the midst of turbulent times in this life. And now, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The last piece of the spiritual armament listed is the sword of the Spirit. All soldiers need a weapon, and for the Christian, this weapon has its source in God. As the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Hence, God has given the Christian His own Word for the spiritual battle against spiritual wickedness in high places. The believer, having at his disposal the divine Word of God, which proceeds out of the mouth of God. God is Spirit, and His spiritual Word carries authority over all wickedness in high places. There is therefore no better weapon to hold in our hand against our spiritual enemies than that which God has provided through His own Holy Word. It is a living Word because God is living and sharp enough to defeat any enemy that it faces on the battlefield. God's Word is the dominant force in all of God's creation simply because God will enforce it in His creation. Isaiah 55, verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. So also Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said... And shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken? And shall he not make it good? Isaiah 14, 24. The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely I have thought, so shall it come to pass. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. If a Christian then holds the sword of the Spirit in his hand, which is the word of God, then he has also the power of God at his disposal. What a wonderful thing then 
that God has given his people his own word to be used against spiritual enemies that seek their destruction. The spiritual authority of the word of God, as evidenced in the ministry of the Son of God, displayed power over all unclean spirits. Jesus, therefore, by his demonstrating his rule over demons, revealed that the kingdom of God was come. Hence, it was by Christ demonstrating that even devils were subject to him that revealed that God's kingdom had arrived. Matthew 12, 28. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. So also Luke eleven twenty. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come unto you. Ellicott on Matthew 12, 28. By the Spirit of God in Luke eleven twenty, we have as an equivalent phrase, the finger of God. So in Old Testament language, the fullness of the prophet's inspiration was expressed in the words, the hand of the Lord was strong upon me, Ezekiel 3.14. Then the kingdom of God is come unto you. The word describes as coming suddenly, unlooked for, sooner than men expected. The argument may be briefly formulated thus. The work was confessedly superhuman, and this was the casting out of devils, either from the power of Satan or that of God. But the former hypothesis was excluded by the reasoning of Matthew 12, 25 through 27. The latter was therefore the only explanation. But if so, if Jesus gave proof that he was thus filled with the power of the Spirit to heal and to save, then he was what he claimed to be, the head of the divine kingdom. That kingdom had burst upon men unawares, end quote. Barnes on this verse. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God here means the power of God. In Luke, by the finger of God again. If this work is not by the aid of Satan, then it is by the aid of God. Then his kingdom or reign is come, God's kingdom or God's reign. The reign of Satan over people and the reign of God are in opposition. If God expels Satan from his dominion over people, then his, God's reign, has come, end quote. It was thus by Jesus exercising authority over devil spirits, by casting them out of men, that proved that God's promised kingdom had come. Jesus' power over the dark spiritual forces of this world, visibly proving that God is the ultimate power over all things created, whether they be physical or spiritual. The coming of the Son of God, and the power of God evidenced by him, therefore proof that God's kingdom was being presented to men. Therefore, by Jesus casting out devils, who themselves remain invisible to man, and are spiritual in nature, proved that God's reign was present. No evil spirit can resist God's authority, simply because God is the absolute power over all things, both on heaven and in earth. Verse 18 now of Ephesians chapter 6. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Included with the putting on the armor of God, there also should be fervent prayer to God. Not only then should God's armor be put on, 
but also prayer and supplication should be made to God so that he is able to enter every spiritual battle that the Christian is engaged in. Barnes on this. Praying always. It would be well for the soldier who goes forth the battle to pray, to pray for victory, or to pray that he may be prepared for death should he fall. But soldiers do not often feel the necessity of this. To the Christian soldier, however, it is indispensable. Prayer crowns all lawful efforts with success and gives a victory when nothing else would. No matter how complete the armor, no matter how skilled we may be in the science of war, no matter how courageous we may be, we may be certain that without prayer we shall be defeated. God alone can give the victory. And when the Christian soldier goes forth armed completely for the spiritual conflict, if he looks to God by prayer, he may be sure of a triumph. This prayer is not intermittent. It is to be always, in every temptation and spiritual conflict, we are to pray with all prayer and supplication, with all kinds of prayer, prayer in the closet, the family, the social meetings, the great assembly, prayer at the usual hours, prayer when we are specially tempted and when we feel just like praying, prayer in the form of supplication for ourselves and in the form of intercession for others. This is, after all, the great weapon of our spiritual armor, and by this we may hope to prevail, end quote. Jesus was in the garden praying and strengthening himself before his being captured and led to the cross to die. David prayed while he was sought by Saul to murder him. Elijah prayed before the raising of the dead child. Hezekiah prayed for deliverance from Sennacherib. Jonah prayed for his salvation from the fish's belly. Nehemiah prayed for forgiveness of sins for God's people and continued to offer up prayers to God throughout his ministry to rebuild the wall. Solomon also stood and prayed for the people of God before the altar of the Lord, beseeching God for his mercies. This teaches us that in every situation and for all deliverance, we, God's people, need to pray to God and lean on him by beseeching the Lord for strength, wisdom, power, and protection. And nowhere is fervent prayer more essential than when we are wrestling against spiritual wickedness in high places. Hence, it is not enough to enter battle even with God's armor if prayer to God does not accompany us. The prayer of the saints needed so that God may hear and come to their rescue. Jeremiah 29, 12. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken to you. Amen.